Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to cover one verse tonight. (laughs) You say, how can we have a whole hour on one verse? Oh, we're going to do it, trust me. It's going to be wonderful. 2 Timothy, if you're looking for it, it's right after 1 Timothy and right before the book of Titus. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I was was thinking this last week about TV. How many of us have a TV? Well, our family, we've had direct TV for a while now, probably a few years, but I was thinking how funny this is, at least for our family, and this might be the case with y'all. Uh, through DirecTV, with our package that we have, we probably have close to 250 channels, or maybe way more than that. But I know, I mean, you could just, if you are a channel surfer, this is your bag, because you could surf for days. But I would say that 95% of the time, we only watch the same three to four channels. Has anybody else experienced that in your house? Okay, so in our house, it's on, well... Mom really likes the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> um, we turn back and forth uh, to the Food Network, really like the cooking shows and the game shows that are on there. Those are fun. Sometimes we go to ESPN, got to have some sports. And, uh, and then the channel that we hardly ever change from, the, the granddaddy channel of them all, HDTV. I have no idea why, but when you hit a certain age, this channel has like a magnetic pull on you. And you're not even considering remodeling your house, but it's like it's like middle-aged person crack. You're just sitting there and you're like, what are they going to do to those cabinets? Don't touch those. They look good. Don't paint that. Or do you need to paint that? Oh my gosh, what were you thinking? And of course, having an architect in the house, you know, we get to see a lot of cool things. And so... You know, that channel, whether it's shows like Flip or Flop, House Hunters, Love It or List It, Love It or List It, Vancouver, Island Hunters, people buying their own islands, brothers versus all kinds of brothers, whatever it is, I'm kind of letting you behind the, the curtain in our household. Please, please don't judge. But I bring all this up because preparing for this message, I couldn't help but think of a show that we watch. And, and this might be on uh, HTTV's sister network, the DIY network, uh, which we also kind of change back and forth to. But it's a show called First Time Flippers. Uh, show of hands, anybody heard of that one? Okay, well, let me give you the description of what it is. Because to me, this show is fascinating In some ways, it's like a train wreck. You want to look away, but you just can't. You know that, that where you come up and you're like, oh my gosh, turn, turn, and you just keep watching. So, um, here's the premise. It's that a person, usually with a friend or their spouse, will buy a broken home with the intention of fixing it up and flipping it for profit. Profit. Typically, they're pretty ambitious on their timeline. They're like, we're going to get this done in two months. And we're like, Mm-mm, you know, and we kind of talk along as we watch and pause it. And we're like, no, it's not going to happen. And um, not only are they ambitious on their timeline, they're also ambitious on their initial budget to profit ratio because they're like, we're going to make $500,000 on this thing and we're going to spend 25000 And we're just like, oh, face palm. And so as we watch this, the whole thing is, is in the title, it's their first flip. Flip. This is their first attempt at this. And the result is often what you'd expect. People come in with unrealistic expectations. They have failed projects. Uh, you find a lot of times that one of the parties, the wife, uh, comes in and thinks that she's just going to be all about the design, whereas the husband is like, get the crowbar, you know, because, I mean, it's a lot of labor. And some of the guys are like, well, I know what a tile, and they, oh, it looks bad, and it looks gnarly, and HTV just, HGTV just lets them do it. In fact, there's this snarky editor who writes on the screen while they do this show going, are you sure you should do that? You should wear goggles. You're going to get splinters. All these kind of funny, crazy things. And sometimes this show ends up with downright disastrous results. Well, all that to say is that as I watch the show, 
I can't help but see a spiritual correlation between the folks that are taking on this construction project and the instruction that Paul gives to young Timothy, his protege, or his Padawan, if you'll forgive me for a Star Wars term. And what he's doing is in his instruction, it's his regards or in regards to his approach to handling scripture. In fact, to reference the show and real life just one more time, there is often a project that they'll be working on that requires measuring and cutting. And and what is the rule that we should always use to when it comes to cutting and construction? Measure twice, cut once. Okay, awesome. Can you turn to your neighbor and say that one more time? Measure twice, cut once. That's the title of our message tonight, as we're going to see Paul encourage Timothy to do just that as he handles the Word of God. And my goal from our teaching is not only to embed Paul's instruction regarding his God's Word into our hearts, but also to make sure that whenever you heard the term, measure twice, cut once, that you can't help but think of this teaching. I want to like hypnotize it into your brains, and not in a bad way, but just to have that sink so deep that you can't hear that construction term without thinking of the biblical correlation. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Can we read it together out of the New King James Version? And you can read along if you like. It says, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. One verse, I'm going to read it one more time just because it's awesome. Uh, Verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Before we get too far, let's get some context about what's going on around this verse to understand the heart of Paul as he conveys this powerful directive. As I said many times already, Paul wrote 2 Timothy, and it's one of three pastoral epistles where Paul was really communicating his heart about the things that mattered most to his protégés like Timothy and Titus. But it's not just things to, to them, it's things that we need to hear and apply. And so when you hear pastoral epistles, please don't think, oh, that's just for pastors and leaders, and then discount it off as something that you don't need to hear. No, in fact, we're all servants. That's what pastor means. It just means servant. And the truth and the reality is we should all be leaders. Leaders at our jobs, leaders in our household, leaders of our families, leaders even of our own heart. And so we all need to hear these things. Things like Paul encouraging Timothy and, of course, us to live an uncompromising life free of fear, pressing into Jesus. This is a part in 2 Timothy, it's chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That's a powerful verse. That's encouragement that Paul said, Timothy, you need this. Another thing that he wrote to encourage Timothy, as well as us, to realize that in living for Jesus we would endure hardship and suffering. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you were to sit in one reading and look at the, the book of Second Timothy, you'll see that an a interwoven theme throughout this book is hardship and suffering and pain. Something that doesn't come on the, the Christian brochure, the cruise brochure. But honestly, time and time again, Paul says, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. No one understood this better than Paul. In fact, this book is what many scholars believe, the last book that he wrote before he was martyred for his faith, before he was cut in, uh, either cut in half or beheaded. And then finally, what mattered most to Paul for him to emphasize to, Th- to Timothy was the emphasis that he placed on the Word of God. 
that he had a sense of urgency that he wanted to communicate to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.16 is where we get this wonderful, beautiful verse that says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There are so many awesome verses about scripture in this epistle. And this epistle is foundational for every believer to study in order to grow in our faith in God. And that's what we want to do tonight. So let's go back to our text. We're in chapter 2, verse 15. Verse fifteen, And this time, I'd like to read it for you in the King James Version. King James Version. I'm going to probably read it twice just so we can get it. King James says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Once again, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Y'all, I can't even right now. No. I can't believe how much instruction, encouragement, hope, and application there is in this one massive verse. And I really hope that we feel like kids on Christmas morning because we have some unwrapping to do in this present that God has given us. And so tonight as we study, what I want to do is as we go through this, I want to give you three keys to studying the word. Three keys to studying the word. And the keys are found in the three phrases of this verse. And so if you look at the verse, you see that it has three different sentences that are separated by commas. Those are going to be our three keys. And so we go right to key number one. It says, my key is to get into the word. Key number one for studying the word is to get into the word. I, I didn't say these points are profound. But we want to just get into the word. That's what's most important. Uh, look one more time at verse 15, just the first sentence. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Okay, so you're looking at me and you're like, Pastor Josh, I have a question. Okay, why does King James stay sh- say, study to show thyself approved? And then New King James battles that where it says, be diligent to show, to present yourself approved. Uh, which one is it? Is it be diligent or is it study? Who should win in this battle? Well, the truth is the answer is kind of tricky. It's both. And it's crazy because where our English language fails, the Greek shines through. This is Koine Greek. It's common Greek. And so as you look at this verse, if you were to look at a lot of other translations, this verse might start with the words endeavor to, make an effort to, concentrate on, work hard to, do your best to. And the neat thing is, is they all come from the same Greek word. If you want to write that word down, that word is spudadzo. And let me spell it for you. It's S-P-O-O-D-A-D, like dad, Z-O. Spudadzo. And I was geeking out on this word because as I was dwelling on the fact that it dwells that it, that it shows, I'm sorry, I was dwelling on the fact that it shows the richness and the depth of God's word. And I started to think, man, were the translators limited by this word? And in fact, they weren't, they weren't limited. It, it opened so many avenues for them, so many options for them to convey the meaning of this verse that best fit with their translation, whether it be the message or the new living or the new King James or the revised standard, whatever it is. And so it's our glory, as Pastor Ben calls us Bible students, to seek out the meaning of this word, spudadzo. So that's just a fun word to say. Do you guys want to try it? Spudadzo. All right. Awesome. By definition, this word means to hasten, which means to speed up or to go fast, to make haste, to be prompt, to give diligence, to labor, or to study. So by definition, again, it means to hasten, to hurry, to make haste, to be prompt, to be on time, to give diligence, which means to give attention to, direct attention to, to labor, which is to work, 
or to study, like what we're doing right now. And so if we were to take all those words and we were to put it in a pot and we were to boil it down or to refine it into a nice, fancy English tea, it's English because it's the, it's the language English, what it means is to hurry to or to have timely care to labor in and to study. So what Paul is doing is he is exhorting, he's exhorting us to say in order to study God's word, we have to present ourselves acceptable to God and we have to do some work, son. In order to study God's word, to present ourselves acceptable to God, we have to do some work. We have to put in the time and the effort and the pouring over. That's how we spudazo. The word present here, because it goes on, it says, uh, we need to diligently or faithfully or endeavor to present ourselves. That word present, I'm not going to give you the Greek word, but it is the same word that we find in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that powerful verse that we see that says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so it's saying, spudazo, endeavor to study, labor in, to present yourself. Just like Paul was saying, you need to present yourself unto God. We want to present ourselves approved. And that's where we get our next word, because that word approved is another Greek word that, y'all, we should be geeking out on. In fact, we went to a conference where the pastor was so excited about this, he almost broke the sound system, screaming it out at the top of his lungs. And I was like, turn him off. Don't break the mic. You know, the, the, the sound guy in me was creeping out. But we should be geeking out on this word. And what it is, is it's the word dokimas. Let me let you, or let me give you how to spell it. It's D-O-K-I-M-O-S. Dokimas. It sounds like a Pokemon. I don't know. But what it means is to be accepted or to be pleasing. It means accepted or pleasing. Another way to look at it is the term real or not counterfeit or not fake. Donald Barnhouse, Donald Barnhouse put it best like this. He says, in the ancient world, there was no banking system as we know it. I'm sorry, as we know it today and no paper money. All money was made from precious metal, heated until liquid, poured into molds, and allowed to cool. When the coins were cooled, it was necessary to smooth off the uneven edges. The, end, the coins were comparatively soft, and of course, many people shaved them closely. In one century, more than 80 laws were passed in Athens to stop the practice of whittling down the coins then in circulation. But some money changers who were men of integrity, who would accept no counterfeit money, they were men of honor who put only genuine, full-weight money into circulation. Such men were called dokimas. And this word used, is used here for the Christian as he is to be seen by the world. That's kind of that's cool, right? So let me break that down, just tell it in my own words. Right then you had... In this turn of the century or in this time, they had precious metals that were made into coins. And you had to melt that down to put it in a coin. And a lot of times you had to shave the edges off. Well, since it's precious metal, and if you could get away with it by making it a little bit smaller, a little bit less weight than it was supposed to be, then you had more precious metal. In fact, you even had some people who would try to put wood stints into the coins to make them weigh less but look the same size because, again, that means you had more precious metal to work with and you could counterfeit more money. And just like our system today, if you have counterfeit money, you're basically running around on someone else's dime. And so you would have these guys that are dokimas, these these money changers, who would take and meticulously measure these coins and they would take their scales and they would make sure that they were right. And anytime they would find a counterfeit coin that shouldn't be in circulation, they would take that off the table. They would say, this one is not approved. And when they would find one that was right, they would call it dokimas. And that's why they would push it through. And that's what's so cool about this is that as we look 
at what Paul is saying to Timothy and what God is saying to us through the scripture is he says that we need to study in order to present ourselves to God already approved, already confirmed. What he's saying is um, we want to be diligent to present ourselves approved, dokimas, to God. We are not working for God's approval through our study of it. What we're doing is we're showing that we are approved by studying God's word. Using these Greek words, I wanted to take this all a step further and, and apply it to our lives or to my life. And so this is what this verse means to me. I'm going to give you the Josh Horsey version. I'm not trying to be a heretic. You don't need to use this for yourself. But I have heard a pastor say before, you should have your own version of the Bible that's translated from the Greek or the Hebrew for you. And so this is my version of the first part of this verse. It says, I commend you to daily Diligently, faithfully study and observe God's word, knowing that he is pleased with you and you are accepted. To me, that's what God is saying through this. And that's what the Greek words back up. Because what we realize is that as we diligently seek God in that prompt manner, in that daily manner, what we find is that God is pleased with us. We're not working for his approval by the time, in the time that we study. But what we're doing is we're presenting to him an offering of our lives as we study, and he is pleased with us, and we are accepted. So let's talk real-life application here. Because you're like, Pastor Josh, you're throwing out a lot of Greek words and definition at us like they're going out of style. But we don't have access to resources like pastors do when you're telling us that we need to study the Word. Well, what if I told you that everything that I got tonight... I got from almost an app on my phone. I mean, virtually either one or two websites or an app that I just took time to diligently study. If you guys are wanting resources that you can use as you want to study and find out what the Greek words mean, there's an app on your phone that you can download called Strong's Concordance. And what that gives you the opportunity to do is in the Hebrew in the Old Testament and in the Greek in the New Testament, go word by word looking at what they mean in that Greek phrase. And what you can do is you can actually cross-reference and see where else in Scripture it's used, and it's a really powerful tool. And then I also use blueletterbible.com. That has a lot of uh, not only text resources and, and commentary resources, but you can also find information like an interlinear Bible, which is, again, the Strong's Numbers. And then I also use Bible study tools, which has a really cool tool that if you click on it, it tells you how to pronounce the word in like an awesome Israeli voice. So it's like dokimas, you know, and I just, I like play it over and over. I'm like, I'm going to learn to speak Hebrew just through this website. But the neat thing about this is, is that we can all study scripture and we're all called to study scripture. And there's a reason that we are called to study scripture, and that is so we can be approved. That is so we can be honorable men and women before God as we look at his word and as we get refined by the word of God. And these are tools that are available to us at the tips of our fingers. We just have to make sure that that what we're looking at is good doctrine and not bad doctrine. So just be careful what sites you're going to. Because every time we approach Scripture, and this is something that Pastor Ben's talked about a lot, is uh, we use what's called inductive Bible study. Inductive Bible study is made up into three areas. What we want to do as we approach Bible study is we want to observe and ask ourselves, what does it say? And then we want to interpret, asking, what does it mean? And then the third aspect of that is we want to apply it. And we ask ourselves, what does it mean to me? So let me go through those again. Observe, interpret, apply. Observe, interpret, apply. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? One of the easiest ways to observe Scripture is to go through and ask questions. You see Jesus standing on the shore as the guys are out fishing 
We need to paint that picture in our head, asking, why was Jesus there? What were they doing? What was their feelings like? We, we want to kind of create a movie in our heads out of the Bible. And, and if you use your imagination, you can get pretty detailed because it's pretty awesome. And so observe, interpret, and imply. Um, I wanted to tell this story when uh, it was 2002, and I had the chance to, um, the opportunity to, to go to Africa for about two and a half weeks to uh, go and minister to churches there in Zambia. And the main purpose that we were going, well, the main purpose I was going was to play music and act act funny. And there's so many stories um, in Africa where um, culturally it was kind of a random thing. They they think that if you're heavyset in Africa, that you're very wealthy and so people were trying to marry me off to their wives, which was very awkward. I had a married woman flirting with me, asking if I would like to have a foot race with her. And so that was not really that awesome. And then one time I was going to lead worship for a church, and the only English-speaking girl was a very beautiful young girl, and we were standing outside on the stoop outside of the church talking, and the pastor was talking and giving announcements, and all of a sudden the whole church turned and started laughing at us and pointing, and the girl turned the reddest I've ever seen an African person turn. And... I asked her, what did he say? And she goes, oh, no, I can't tell you. And I said, well, what did he say, please? And she goes, he said that you came from America to ask me to marry you. And I said, well, I'm, I'm flattered, but no. <laughs> so they have a great sense of humor. But the main reason that we really went to Africa was to teach the pastors there how to, how, how to teach the Bible using the Bible. Because the best way to interpret the Bible is to use the Bible. The best way to interpret Scripture is to use Scripture. And so we had such a a successful time there because uh, there had been so many prosperity teachers that had come through and it had really given them a lot of bad doctrine, but we were able to come in and we were able to walk through the whole book of Romans with them. And so right here, as we have... Paul's encouragement to Timothy to study in order to present ourselves approved to God, we find that that right there is the measure twice part. That's key number one. That's measure twice part. So key number two, as we move along, key number two is not only do we want to, one, get into the word, but two, we want to allow it to change us. We want to allow it to change us. That's key number two. We look at the second sentence. It says, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. So looking at it through our inductive Bible study, we want to ask questions. The first question that we say is, how do we avoid being ashamed? Because I was thinking nobody wants to do their work and have their boss or someone come and look at it and go like, Did you do it already? (laughs) You know, I was thinking of contractors. How many times can contractors come and look at a job and go, oh, I know who did that? Or you have that respect of saying, that was done well. Because we avoid being ashamed as a workman by applying it. Applying this knowledge, applying the study that we get out of it, we live it out. We put what we find and what we glean out of God's word into practice. A lot of people say that practice makes perfect. I don't agree with that statement. You know what I think practice does? It makes permanent. Because people can be practicing the wrong things, and yeah, it makes them permanent. But when we make studying the word of God and going through his word part of our daily practice, It becomes a permanent part of our life. Pastor Ben has been saying in our Ezra series the last couple of weeks, as he's been talking about Ezra as a man of God's word, he gave us three areas of encouragement. Study, obey, and teach. Study, that's what we're talking about. We go to church. Did you realize that this tonight and Sunday mornings are a big part of your study and that you can use Sundays and Wednesdays as a huge springboard to jumpstart your discussion in the Word and your growth? I mean, if you think about it, how many of us can go home and talk to our spouses about what we've learned or what we've observed, what God spoke to us individually 
I mean, if you think about it, you could say, hey, let's get together, family. Let's get together and talk about it. So not only do we study, but we also obey. What we do is we live it out. We don't just hear it, but we do it. That's what James, in his word, in his uh, in his epistle, says to do. He says, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers as well. And so we want to live it out. And then we also were encouraged by Pastor Ben to teach. And, and he said this, and I'll say it again because it's really powerful. Do you want to know something backwards and forwards? Teach it. And so many of you can attest to this, whether it's children's ministry, small groups, family studies, um, even a sit down with your roommate. When we know it, we grow into it when we teach it. And so I encourage you, find an opportunity to teach. Maybe it's you and your wife. Maybe it's you and your husband. Maybe it's you and a coworker. Maybe you say, hey, we need to get together and have a small group. Maybe we need to get together and, and do a follow-up from a Sunday or a Wednesday. When you teach and when you're able to, to study and pour over it so you know because you're freaked out about not being able to give a right answer, that's when you know it and that's when it's in your heart. I can attest to this from Angel. She's teaching the children's ministry on Sunday morning's first service and she sits for a couple hours either on Saturday or Sunday morning just preparing her heart and just wrapping her mind around it because she wants to make sure that our little ones are fed well. And then, of course, with Pastor Ben, you know, he disappears into his office on Wednesdays and Fridays, making sure that he knows this stuff back and forward to be able to teach it. I I heard once of a guitar uh, lesson guy, lesson guy, a guitar teacher who um, what he would do is he didn't know everything, but he knew a master who lived upstairs. And so right before he was supposed to go give a teaching, he would go up to the master and he'd say, show me something new. And he would sit there and he would learn from him and then he would come back and he would be able to teach what he had learned. To me, there's almost nothing sadder than a Christian who is only taught, who only receives, who is poured into, but never is poured out. You can't help but think of the Dead Sea there in Israel. It's a sea that has a lot of inlets, but no outlets. It has all this water that pours into it, but what comes into it has nowhere to go. And so sometimes the Dead Sea has a nickname called the Stinking Sea, because what comes into it just sits there and it stagnates and nothing can live inside of it. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. And so if we're Christians, that all we ever do is get teaching and all we ever do is get ministered to, but we don't in turn flip the script and go and use that for God's glory, whether it's in ministry or whether it's in service, what whatever it is, if we don't pour out what's been poured into us, we become stagnant stale, and honestly, spiritually smelly. And so this verse right here, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, it says that if we are want to be laborers who are not ashamed of the work that we have to do, we need to allow God's word to change us. We need to allow God's word to change us. All right, we're at key number three. And so the first two, let me go over them again. The first one is we need to get into God's word. The second one is we need to allow it to change us. And then key number three, and this is where it gets really important, is we have to correctly handle it. We have to correctly handle it. The verse says, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Right here, the word dividing, that's where we're going to spend some of our time. It's the word orthotomeo. It sounds like tomato, but it's O-R-T-O-R-T-H-O-T-O-M-E-O. Let me spell that one more time. O-R-T-H-O, ortho. It's pretty easy. And then tomeo, T-O-M-E-O. And what that means right here in the Greek is it means to cut a straight line, to make an incision, or to make a, to make a straight and smooth cut. And the last definition is to handle accuracy or with precision. And so if you guys have been wondering what this table is, 
Before me on this table, I have some cutting implements, devices, tools, whatever you might call them, and I want to spend the rest of our time examining them with the idea of rightly dividing God's word with them. And so tool number one, if you'll abide with me, hey, check this out. It's a hatchet. You know what? It's a cool tool. I think I get a man card upgrade just for having this thing. But we have to ask, is this a good tool to rightly divide the word of truth with? Well, you think about it. Can it cut a straight line? Does it have precision? To me, no. You know what you do with this thing when you use it? You hack, right? You hack. I think if we were to try to divide the word with this thing, the Bible would get blunt force trauma. And the question is, isn't rightly dividing God's word important? Earlier in the verse, it said that we are to show ourselves approved to God. Can you imagine if we didn't put the work in and I taught it purely from a place where we said that the only way to get God's approval was for us to earn it? based on that verse, you know what I'd be? I'd be a hack. That's terrible theology. That's not right. What God says is you are approved. When you're in me, you are approved. You are dokimas. The definition of a hack job is the completion of a task in the quickest possible time at the expense of quality or attention to detail. I can't, imagine, I can't help but think of Paul uh, constantly warning the early church about hack jobs, false teachers who would twist Scripture to make it say what they wanted to say. He would go around all throughout the books that he wrote saying, be on guard, hold fast to what God has given us. Watch out for those men who try to tickle our ears. And that's not only... In the old days, he wants us to, they were trying to, to get us to come over to their camp by saying things that, that we wanted to hear. But that's not just happening in Paul or Jesus' day. That's happening in our day, isn't it? Guys that, that come on um, the radio or come on the TV with things like prosperity doctrine or even heavy condemnation. How many of us have ever heard that Jesus would have been rich if he lived in this day and age? How many of us have ever been have ever heard that if we just send in a seed offering of a thousand dollars, that God will bless it a hundredfold? How many of us have ever heard that if we just touch the TV screen while He's praying, or we use this silly paper prayer mat that they mail to us, and we cry over it or whatever, that God is going to bless it? How many of us have heard? The the hack job who said, after I die, come and visit my grave so that you can receive the healing power that I have. That's whack, dude. And so what we want to realize is that we cannot rightly divide God's word by hacking at it. No, we need to study. We need to be a dokimas. Don't be a hack when it comes to God's word and turn away from other hacks too. So, that's our hatchet. Now, the next tool that we have is, I need like Vanna White. Okay, check this bad boy out. This is like Tim Allen. Oh, oh, oh. This right here is a Christmas gift that I got from my beautiful wife. It's a reciprocating saw, also known as some brand, a Sawzall. And you know what it does? It cuts through everything and in a hurry. Now we have to ask, is this a good tool to rightly divide the word? Let me say this. This is an awesome tool, but in the right context. Can it cut a straight line? Kind of. Does it make a smooth edge? No. How many have ever used one of these? Does it have a lot of precision? Not in my hands. But it saws in a hurry. You know what? As I think of this thing, I can picture my own life some of the time where in the morning I rush through my reading, 
my daily portion of the one-year Bible. I'm just sitting there and I'm freaked out about being late and I'm just going, oh, 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 you know, and I'm just trying to get my check mark by having my daily reading done for that day. Or the only time I pray in that morning is the time where I'm behind the car where I'm saying, God, please move them over. That's not right. When we're trying to have this time where we rightly divide the word of truth and we're in a hurry, we're not doing it right. Because this is the God of the universe who gave us his love letter and he calls us daily, moment, my moment to come and draw near to him. I love what Pastor Ben says. He's like, when was your date night with God? When was the last time that you just had you and him alone? You do that with your spouse, and that's important. Heck, if you didn't have that with your spouse or with your best friends or whoever it is, you wouldn't be on the same page. You wouldn't have that that koinonia, that fellowship. Can you imagine if we ignore God in that way? And so my encouragement is, as we do not want to rightly divide with this, we cannot rightly divide with this, don't give God our leftover time. Don't rush our devos. We don't always want to be in a hurry. We need to take time to correctly handle God's word. I encourage you, if you have to set aside a day, one day a month or a day a quarter, write it on your calendar if you have to. Say, God, this hour of my day on this weekend is to you, and I'm going to go to a park. I'm going to go somewhere where my phone, the Facebook notifications, the Instagrams, the Snapchats, the the tweets, the Twitter feeds, or, I'm, okay, I'm just playing, but whatever it is, whatever it is that gets our attention, whatever it is that takes us away from God, we silence those things so we can give God our full attention to rightly divide the word of truth, God's word. Okay, so, neither the hatchet nor the sawzall. Well, let's see what's behind door number three. Oh, check this out. Hey, that's a bread knife. It's plastic. It's serrated. It's somewhat sharp. It'll cut bread. You know, it can't be sharpened, but I think I could probably cut myself if I really tried. Now, here's the question. Can it cut a straight line? Not when I'm using it. I can't cut bread with a bean. But does it make a straight or smooth edge? No. Does it have precision? No. So as I was thinking about this knife rightly dividing, I was laughing to myself of just because of the visual of saying, will this cut through Scripture? And as I was laughing, I felt like God came down and he imparted to me. He started to speak to me. And he said, Josh, using this bread knife to rightly divide scripture is like trying to study without using the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it would be like, trying to rightly divide the word of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not sharp. There's no way to sharpen it. It's not a power tool. It has no leverage. It's virtually worthless for that application. That's what he said happens in our lives. When we try to study the word of God without the power of the Holy Spirit, girding us under, walking with us, giving us the understanding that we need as we read the word of God. Think about how many people try to understand God's word when the Holy Spirit is absent. Do you know what happens when you take the Holy Spirit out? This goes from a living word that speaks to us and meets us where we are at to a boring religious workbook. I can't help but think, I think it's Benjamin Franklin who went through and he cut out all the parts of the Bible that he didn't agree with. And you know what he was left with? Empty pages and empty promises. Because when you take the Holy Spirit out of of the word and when you don't have that power as you study and as you read then this book has no power when we study we need to ask God for that fresh filling of his power we need to ask God for that fresh filling of his Holy Spirit because there are going to come things that we do not understand in this scripture but through the Holy Spirit God will give us understanding we need to not miss out on the power of the Holy Spirit 
in our study of God's word. So tool number four. Right now, the hatchet, not going to cut it. Hey, see that? Uh, reciprocating saw, not going to slice it. Okay, I don't have another one. Bread knife, uh-uh. Okay, last and final tool. Guess what this is? This is an exacto knife for, for, our, for our study. It's like a scalpel. It's sharp. It's precise. It makes smooth edges when it's cutting. This is the tool that we want to rightly divide the Word of God with. And in our hands, as we continually practice and as we continually work at studying God's Word, as we are already dokimas, but we lean more into it, we become like a skilled surgeon that can accurately and correctly handle God's Word. And what we do when we do that is we are able to, to come against false teachers and we're able to, to rule that doctrine as worthless. And you know what happens when you rightly divide the word of God? That's the beauty of it, is that when you faithfully, accurately study and divide it, and when you consume it, the amazing effect is all you want to do is keep doing it. You want more of it. You want to dive deeper into the depth of the riches that all God's word has hidden for us. Think about this short study on just this verse tonight. God revealing to us that in his eyes, we're already approved. We've already been tested and we're already kid tested and mother, okay, not kicks, but we're already right in his eyes. We're not fake. We're men of honor that, that God looks at us and he says that we are dokimas when we study his word. And that's what we do on a daily basis. And that's why I encourage you that if you don't have a regimen of study yet in your lives where you don't say, hey, God, let me do a word study. Let me dive deeper. Let me read a commentary. Let me just sit with your word and like a, like a Strong's concordance and just a pen and see what God's going to speak to you out of that. Let me interpret what you say in other parts of Scripture. Let me use a chain reference Bible to see how this all contextually correlates. Let me close with this. Church, we need to rightly divide the word of God. We need to cut a straight line. We need to make an incision. And we need to practice our skill, making it into a permanent routine. Rightly dividing the word and truth. And in turn, here's where it gets deep. What we need to do is as we rightly divide the word of God, we need to let the word of God divide us making us more like Jesus. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Churches, we let the word of God divide us. God is ever faithful to cut away the things that don't belong, all while instilling in us more of his grace, and more of his mercy, more of his hope, more of his peace, more of his love. Measure twice, cut once. Let's say that together. Measure twice, study the word of God, cut once. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Let's do it again. Measure twice, cut once. Study the word, get in the word. Find out what it truly says rightly divide. We want to correctly handle handle it. We want to find out what it actually means. And then last and, and, and foremost is we want to let it divide us and allow it to change us. Because what we need to do is not just only find out what God is saying and then find out what it means. If we don't apply what it means to us, then it's all for naught. So we have to we have to approach that that third step, and we need to let it divide us. We need to apply what God is speaking to us. Can we receive that encouragement tonight? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word is so deep and abounding in riches for us. I thank you that we could spend an eternity 
and not even scratch the surface of who you are and how great you are and that we will read a certain part of scripture at one point in our lives and it will mean something to us that you're speaking to us in our situation and we'll read that same passage another time in our lives and yet it will mean something completely different and yet still work, God. And that's how amazing you are. And so, Father, let us be men and women of your word. Let us be men and women known for your word. More than anything else in this world, let us be dokimas. Let us be approved. Jesus, tonight, we thank you, Father, for this study, and I pray that everything that was said that's righteous would, would sit in our hearts and anything that doesn't belong would fade away. But when we think of the term measure twice, cut once, that if we're on a construction site, that we come back to the word. If we're doing a building project and somebody says it jokingly, that we come back to thinking of this study. That when we think of a sawzall, that we think of the illustration when we pick up a bread knife that we think of this teaching because this is so important is we want to rightly divide your word. We want to handle it accurately and with precision. And so I thank you that we're here tonight. I thank you for your word. And we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.